Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Everything in us and everything around us teaches us that life is all about us. Every one of us has a natural predisposition towards selfishness. In fact, selfishness is the greatest addiction of the human condition. Like alcoholics in a bar, we are surrounded at all times in every way by the temptation to our addiction. To focus everything on ourselves, to make everything about ourselves. See, every sin is connected to our focus of and pursuit of ourselves. It's the reason that parents have to teach their children, you're not the center of the universe. Why do we have to repeat that? Because we default into believing that it is. There's something in us that wants to believe that it is, to make it all about us, as everything revolves around us. And we have to be reminded again and again and again that it isn't. So before we get into the text today, I want to offer an offensive content warning. In order to properly teach and understand this text, we have to use a bad word. It is a word that is often upsetting, wildly offensive, and typically triggering. It unsettles us to our very core. It is a bad word, a nasty word, a word that is so incredibly, maybe the most offensive word in the English language. It's a word that none of us want to hear, especially in church. But despite our hatred of this word, it shows up repeatedly in Scripture. Submit. Something about the concept of submission seems to violate something deep inside of us, upsetting us at a, at a cellular level. We don't like being told to submit. We don't like being expected to submit because it goes against the fabric of who we are. It is a violation. It is an offense to the culture around us, and we want nothing to do with it. Because submission is an act of selflessness for a people and a culture that worship selfishness. So as we continue in our series, Stand Firm, we come to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. This is a text I was really hoping to not be the one to teach because I've met myself. And somehow I ended up with it. So I'm going to get in a whole lot of trouble uh, because we get to talk about civil obedience. <laughs> that is the perfect response. Thank you. <laughs> Talking about civil obedience coming off of a year-long pandemic where nobody agrees about how to handle it or what should be done in a, a time of incredible civil and political unrest 
where it has become clear that nobody agrees about anything and we've lost all ability to treat those who disagree with us with any form of human decency, grace, or respect. And we get to talk about civil obedience. So, in preparation for the inevitable offense that simply reading this text and discussing this text is going to cause, I have pre-fired myself. And I'll be providing you with my email address so that you can easily send me angry comments about anything and everything that was said in this. Here it is, radkins at carolinaforest.org. Send all of your angry messages there. Rick is going to be thrilled about that. But I couldn't help myself. I've already had to fire myself, so why not? I've been preaching for 15 years. Anytime this word comes up in the text, two things inevitably happen. The first is that people start squirming a little bit in their seats because they get uncomfortable. There's usually about three, four people in the back that start eyeballing the door like, I bet I could make it out and just come back next week and nobody would know the difference. And the second is most of the people start forming ideas, start forming excuses, justifications, start bringing to mind before we even get into the subject matter reasons why the text, the command, shouldn't have to be applied to them. See, whenever the Bible requires us to change something in our belief or in our behavior, the greatest temptation that we face is to avoid that change by projecting it onto someone else. To ignore what the Word of God is saying to us and go, well, what about that person? What about that group? What about what they're doing? What about them? Well, just stop. The gospel is not the mallet from whack-a-mole that we use to bop everybody else on the head. It's a mirror. It's a mirror that's meant to reveal where our life is inconsistent with the character and the life of Jesus so that we can change and mold to it. But the gospel cannot shape you. It cannot convict you. It cannot challenge you or grow you if the only thing that you do with it is projected onto others. So I'm going to challenge you to do something this morning that I would not normally challenge you to do because it creates a really bad system for interpretation. But for this context, I want you to do something for me. I want you to imagine that you're the only person in this room. When we go through this scripture, I want you to imagine that Peter was writing this not to a group of people, not to be preserved throughout human history for all generations of Christians, but I want you to imagine that he was writing this specifically and solely to you. And I want the dominant question to ask, not what about them, what about what they're doing, what about that group of people and how they need to apply this. I want you to ask this question, what does this text demand that I change in my life? So, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. All right, let's make like we just moved and unpacked this. Be subject. I'm going to stop there. That's our offensive word. That is our deeply unsettling biblical concept of submission. To be subject to every human institution is to be in submission to governing authorities at every level. And I can feel the temptation rising in our hearts. What about this biblical example of 
civil disobedience. What about this case that doesn't apply to that? Look, if I take this and I use this as an example, I could find a way to dismiss this text, and we're not even done with the first sentence. Church, here's the problem. There's not one ounce of or a single allotment for anywhere in this text civil disobedience. In fact, what Peter is presenting here is unequivocally, unashamedly, unapologetically a commission for civil obedience. Listen to the words that Peter says and remember that it's Peter who says them. This is the guy who was in the garden with Jesus and soldiers came to arrest Jesus and he drew his sword and tried to decapitate one of them. Not the ringleader, not the guy in charge, just some random dude who was doing his job. Peter tries to cut his head off for showing up to arrest Jesus. So we're not talking about a non-confrontational pacifistic guy who's just trying to avoid rocking the boat. We're talking about a guy who spends more time with his foot in his mouth than on the ground. Talk about a guy who was so passionate, so zealous, that Jesus had to rebuke him on multiple occasions. Peter knew Jesus better than almost anyone, was closer to Jesus than almost anyone. So the fact that it is Peter who is telling us this should cause us to stop and to truly more deeply consider what he's saying. The second thing that we need to note about this text is the reason that Peter gives us to do it. The why. What's the motivation? What's the reason that Peter tells us that we are to subject ourselves to human institutions? For the Lord's sake. It is our love for Jesus, to honor Jesus, to glorify Jesus, that Peter uses as our motivation and reason to submit ourselves to governing authorities. For the Lord's sake. Over the past year, I've seen so many videos of people who call themselves Christians, and I'm going to use that term very graciously because their behavior demonstrates nothing of Jesus, going on these angry rants because they were told they had to do something they didn't want to do, and they post these rants going, only Jesus can tell me what to do. The problem with that is, Jesus did tell them what to do, and they didn't listen. See, when Jesus tells us to be in submission to authorities, and we choose not to be in submission to authorities, and we cite Jesus as a result, what we're actually saying is no one can tell me what to do because I am God. We don't get to to use the authority of Jesus as an excuse to disobey Jesus. At which point, the objection comes to constitutional rights. What about constitutional rights? Great question. Thank you for asking. You call yourself a Christian. You know what that term means? It was first used in Acts chapter 11 for the Christians in Antioch. Prior to this, they were called followers of the way. The term was meant to be an insult used by outsiders to make fun of Christians, like the modern-day version of Jesus Freak. It literally means little Christ. Oh, you're one of those little Christ people. Why don't you just go off and follow Jesus and be like Jesus? That was the insult. And we're like, yeah, no, that's actually right. That's what we want to do. When you call yourself a Christian, what you are declaring is that you seek to imitate Jesus. So, Christian, let me ask you this. 
When did constitutional right become more important to us than spiritual responsibility? When did civil freedom begin to supersede obedience to Jesus? The third thing that stands out in this text is who Peter wrote it to. Peter wrote this commission to a group of Christians who were suffering, who just had their homes, their land, their jobs, their savings account, pretty much everything that they owned taken from them by the government simply for being Christians, and they were banished from everything they'd ever known, forced to wander in exile. And so Peter writes to a group of people who've just had everything unjustly taken from them by the governing authority, and he tells them to be subject to that very same governing authority. As Christians, we love to stand on an invented moral high ground, claiming that we're fighting for justice, that we're fighting for truth, claiming, believing that if a government or if an authority behaves in an unjust, unfair manner, that that gives us the right to disobedience, that gives us the right to resistance. And our ignorance of biblical history prevents us from seeing how absurd that is. Do you know who the emperor of Rome was at the time that Peter wrote this? A guy named Nero. Nero is one of, if not the worst leader in all of human history. By comparison to Nero, Hitler would be a choir boy. Nero is sick, psychotic, and sadistic. He launched one of the greatest persecutions against the church in all of history. He was a rapist, a sodomite. He had incestuous desires for his own mother, which he most certainly acted on with or without her consent until he got bored with her and murdered her. Nero was in fact so perverse, so wretched, so terrible of a human being that even just summarizing in list form all the horrific things that he did historically would take us all the way into lunch. There are so many examples. It's difficult to even know where to begin to give you a fair assessment of just how terrible this guy was. 64 AD. Nero lights a fire that destroys a third of Rome. People get mad. Nero blames it on the Christians. And so then to punish the Christians for his crimes, Nero would have them arrested, dress them up in animal skins, and unleash his dogs on them to tear them apart. Or, you know, because variety is the spice of life, he would take them, pin them to crosses, and light them on fire, using them as torches in his garden, where he would go on leisurely strolls at night to watch them burn, sometimes while they were still alive. One of his favorite things to do would be to dress up as a commoner, go into the streets, find someone, typically a young man, rape them, and if they displeased him or resisted too much, stab them to death afterwards. This is the man who ruled Rome when Peter said, be in submission to every human institution. So, what was the excuse that we were using? 
What was the justification of some immoral behavior in our government that gives us the right to civil disobedience? Take whatever idea, whatever issue that you have, hold it up, and just stamp the word Nero over it and consider it invalid. There is nothing I can think of that can compare to how horrific of a leader Nero was. And he's the guy that Peter says, be in submission to that dude. And if he can say it about that dude... We have no excuse. See, Peter doesn't tell us to be in submission to governing authorities because the governing authorities are right or righteous or good or because they love Jesus. He tells us to be in submission to governing authorities for two reasons. Verse 13, for the sake of Jesus. Verse 15, because it is the will of God. That's our motivation has nothing to do with the behavior, morals, or how much we agree with the government and everything to do with how much we love Jesus. See, how we as the people of God engage the culture around us is a reflection of who God is. And our goodness in the face of opposition, our goodness when we are treated unfairly, our goodness when we are treated cruelly, our goodness when we are treated unjustly, is an opportunity for us to show the world what Jesus was really like, who Jesus really is. And as Christians, we often spend far too much time worrying about what is fair and not nearly enough time worrying about how to honor Jesus in what isn't. Peter commands submission. Does that mean Blind adherence to anything that anyone in authority tells us to do. Does that mean that there is never a point where we have a biblical right to civil disobedience? No. What it means is we are called to imitate Jesus. Jesus, who being in the nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant. He became made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man. Jesus, who is God, submitted himself to humanity, which is a pretty low place to stoop, and endured being arrested, tried, beaten, and murdered, though he was innocent of all crimes, though he had done nothing wrong. Jesus didn't have to do that. He willfully chose to submit himself even when what he was submitting himself to was unfair and wrong. That's who we are called to follow. That's the example that we are called to imitate. We don't submit ourselves to authorities because they're right or righteous or good. We submit ourselves to authorities because it honors Jesus to do so. Verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. It is our sin and our selfishness that drives us to focus on our rights and liberties. Do you have rights? Absolutely. Do you have liberties? Of course. Do you have freedoms? Absolutely, that you do. But do you see the brilliant deception of our own selfishness? See, our sin loves to masquerade as idealism. Loves to make itself look good. 
and to give us this appearance of a moral high ground. Without ever realizing or asking the question, do you know what you cannot do? It is impossible, church, to focus on your rights, liberties, and freedoms without focusing on yourself. Too often in the church, we use Jesus as a justification to ignore rules we don't like. Well, I don't answer to that authority. I answer to a higher authority. The problem with using Jesus as a higher authority to ignore the lower authority is that Jesus commands us in almost every instance to submit ourselves to the lower authority. So outside of the few places in which we are given biblical permission for civil disobedience, our disobedience civilly is also sinful. This is why I didn't want to do this text. (laughs) When we cite Jesus as our reason to not obey authority and it is not a Jesus gospel issue that we are trying to disobey, Jesus is not our king, he's our excuse. Hold on. Wait a second, that's not right. There's lots of examples of civil disobedience. There's lots of times in scripture where the people of God didn't do what the government said to do. Like, even Acts 5, Peter and John, right? They're told by the Sanhedrin not to preach in the name of Jesus. They went ahead and did that anyway. That's civil disobedience. That's a terrible example. It's a terrible example because, firstly, Peter and John are answering to a religious system that they're no longer involved with. It's no longer authority over them. And secondly, that's the grounds that we have for civil disobedience in Scripture. When the authority over us in the human world is telling us to do The opposite of what Jesus is directly telling us to do, that is our grounds for biblical disobedience, or for civil disobedience. (laughs) So when the leaders say, don't preach the gospel, and Jesus says, preach the gospel, that's where we have permission to disobey human leaders for the sake of honoring Jesus. But it is in cases of direct commands to do the opposite of what Jesus has instructed us to do. So as an example, let me just use this. Abortion is something that we as Christians would not agree with or support. The government condones abortion. Does that mean that we have the right to civil disobedience because we disagree with the government's position? On that grounds, no. Because there's a difference between condoning a behavior and commanding a behavior. Now, in the case where that government says, you must have an abortion, now because they are commanding to do the opposite of what Jesus has instructed us to do. Now we have grounds to choose to obey Jesus over the government. Outside of that, it is sinful. Freedom is not an excuse for sin. No matter how much we want to cite Jesus as a higher and greater authority so that we can ignore the instructions of the world that we don't like, he isn't one. In fact, he tells us to be in submission to them. In Romans, he says, there's no authority except for that which God has established. (laughs) And if we're being honest with ourselves, most of the time that we're citing Jesus to ignore the rules, it has nothing to do with honoring Jesus. You think that Jesus is like, the only way, Christian, that you can honor me is by driving 10 miles an hour over the speed limit because my people don't got time for that. You think the only way that we can honor Jesus is he's sitting there going, you know what, don't let anybody else tell you what to do. The only person you ever need to think about or answer to is me. And so if, you, if anyone else tells you what to do, you're actually defying me by listening to them. No. 
Most of the time when we're choosing to be defiant, it is not because it honors Jesus, it's because it honors us. Peter tells us that of our love for Jesus, we are to submit ourselves to governing authorities because it is the will of God that we do so. It is for the sake of God that we do so. You don't have to like it, but you don't get to complain about it either. We are called to honor Jesus, to be like Jesus, to imitate Jesus, and the beauty of submission is that in our submission to human institution, we have the opportunity to deny ourselves. Especially when we disagree, especially when we don't like what they're doing, especially when they're telling us to do something that towards us isn't fair. That is the greatest opportunity that we have to practice dying to ourselves, dying to our pride, dying to our ego, dying to our way, because submission is one of the most impressive and powerful demonstrations of selflessness. Submission is an act of love towards the one who motivates that submission. Submission is selfless. Submission teaches us to be more like Jesus. For whose sake we are called to submit. It gives us this great opportunity to show the world the reality and the power of the transforming work of Jesus in our lives. Because when we submit, when we submit, when we are treated unfairly or unkindly, when we submit, when we don't agree, there's no earthly reason that any other person can understand for why we would do that. Our submission brings glory and honor to God. And our submission teaches us to imitate Jesus, who submitted himself to a cross, who submitted himself to the loneliness of humanity, who submitted himself to washing the disciples' If we want to be like Jesus, if we want to imitate Jesus, if we want to follow the example of Jesus, one of the most effective ways that we do that is that we teach ourselves, we train ourselves, we condition ourselves to submit as the Lord instructs us to submit. Submission is not an act of weakness. It's not an act of cowardice. Submission is a declaration of love for Jesus who calls us to do it. More than anything, submission is like communion. See, Jesus tells us that when, when we take this bread and we take this juice, we are to do so in remembrance of him. He calls us to follow the example that he set. Jesus' body, broken for us, was broken out of his submission. He didn't have to do this. He wasn't required to do this. This wasn't even the right thing, just thing for him. Jesus sacrificed his rights, his freedoms, and his liberties for the good of others. He practiced the very submission he calls us to. So when we take this body, this bread, we're reminded of the one who submitted himself to death for our sake, that we might follow his example. Let's take the bread together.
the juice that represents his blood. Blood that was spilled in submission to the will of God, in submission to his love for us, that we might have grace and salvation. Reminds us of why we die to ourselves, why we deny ourselves, why we live for him. Let's take it together. The concept of submission is one of those things that offends us to the very core of who we are because it requires at its foundation the death of who we are. And it is the greatest opportunity that we have to practically demonstrate our love for Jesus. Selfishness is the pursuit of and service of ourselves. Submission is the selfless pursuit and devotion to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us the strength to follow you and help us see through the excuses and the justifications that we make. God, I ask that you would forgive me for all the great reasons I find to not do what you clearly say to do for how regularly I let my pride and my ego supersede my devotion to you. Forgive us for willfully choosing ourselves over you. And remind us each and every day of the incredible love and grace you have for us. That we might follow the example of Jesus, that we might live selflessly, not in weakness, but in strong devotion to you, that honoring you and glorifying you would be so much more important than any other agenda or ideal in our hearts. May everything in us not be about us. May we make it about you. Be the foundation of our lives. Be the center of our lives. Help us to fix everything in us and everything around us on you. We wouldn't worry about anyone else, but then we would devote ourselves to the pursuit of you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for grace. Amen.